guardian angels, and patron saints, pray for us. Good morning to all of you as we begin our celebration of Catholic Schools Week. It's beautiful to see our church so full. I haven't seen seen it this full in many in many months, if not, if not years. We're glad to be able to celebrate together and praise our Lord and worship him together as members of his mystical body. I want to particularly welcome uh, parents and families, teachers and others who are part of our school community, but who worship elsewhere and are here with us this morning. The work of our Catholic education is something that is so deeply important, but often hidden and unacknowledged, almost ordinary, something that happens just of itself. And periodically, it's important for us to step back and to reflect, reflect a little bit about what is the nature of our work. The theme of speaking the truth is all through our scriptures and even our opening prayer today. Help us, Lord, to honor you with all our mind, and to love each other in, the, in truth of heart. Our scholars today, who will, at, the, uh, at one point here, I'll ask you to stand. We're going to recite our scholars' pledge together. Um, begins with this phrase, I pledge to seek the truth. That's the first thing you say as a, as a school community in the morning, as you begin your work. What does it mean to seek the truth? Our, our first reading today from the prophet Zephaniah describes the faithful remnant in Israel when there's widespread apostasy and and desertion. Says there will be a remnant and they they will be defined by doing no wrong and speaking no lies. Which can seem like a pretty low bar, can't it? I would imagine 95% of ordinary people going about our daily lives do that, not doing any harm, not telling any lies. We're doing our jobs, we're feeding our families, we're spending time with our friends and our family members, doing all of those things that we just go about our lives doing. And and that doesn't really seem that remarkable, does it? It's just expected of us. Do no harm, speak no lies. Now now maybe, maybe once in a while we stretch the truth tell a little white lie that's convenient. Maybe once in a while, should we trample on someone or make them feel bad or hurt them by the way we speak or treat them? Not intentionally, but just maybe through thoughtlessness. But we patch things up and get back on our way, and and nothing is really that significant, a departure from that basic pattern of not, not hurting and not deceiving. In fact... To live in the truth such that there is no deceit to be found in our mouths is quite a remarkable thing. It's actually heroic, particularly when there are so many incentives to not speak the truth or to make peace with a lie. And I think appreciating what exactly seeking the truth means of being free from the lie is better understood in the context of what we talked about in the season of Advent when we presented that 
four-step presentation of the gospel. What does it mean to believe the gospel? You remember in the second part of that, we heard about how though we were created by a good God, created to be loved and to love, that a spiritual enemy set his sights on enslaving and degrading us in rebellion, and that we are held captive. We're born on a battlefield in the midst of a, of a great war, a spiritual war. And we considered how it is that, that this war takes place. The scriptures speak about the nature of this war, a war between darkness and light, between truth and lies. Jesus talks about this often. He describes in the Gospel of John the spiritual enemy of the human race, Satan. He says he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks according to his own nature, for he is a, li a liar and the father of lies. Those are Jesus' words. It's very dramatic, very intense. That first statement, he was a murderer from the beginning, is explained by the second part of that sentence, and he does not stand in the truth. He's a murderer because he kills the truth and the desire for it in human beings. This is his murder. He does not stand in the truth and he draws others out of it. And he extinguishes in the heart the desire for truth so that we close ourselves to the light of God's revelation, his truth, who is Jesus himself. And so, the action of our spiritual enemy is at work in the world, in society. Working to neutralize the attractive force of the crucified and risen one, Jesus. Who draws us to himself, that desire for the truth, to live and to rejoice in the light. To live with integrity. All of us long for that. And our enemy wants to divert us, or cause us to forget that and ultimately make slaves of us by means of the lie. And at the, at the heart of this, where he focuses the greatest amount of energy and is making, appears to be, the most progress, is in the realm of building a kind of parallel or alternative creation to God's creation. This is the terrible challenge that Lucifer hurls at God. It's a frightful thing. He says to God, I am demonstrating to you, I'm showing you that I'm capable of constructing an alternative to your creation. And human beings will say to you, it's better. That's his challenge. That's his rejection. That's his rebellion. Constructed around this profound contempt of God's creation. And the order that he founded it upon. Well, where do we see this in our time? 
Where do we see the work of the Antichrist dismantling God's creation, setting up an alternative? Well, see it first in the rejection of the right to life, that life is to be protected in the womb, and that the right to take that life now belongs to every woman. That this is good that she have such a right. We say that what is evil is good, that what is of darkness is of the light. This is what our society says. This is how our society lies and sets up something alongside God's gift of motherhood and fatherhood and life. The second thing is a redefinition of what it means to be married. That God created man and woman to be fruitful and to multiply and to set them in the privileged place over creation, to rule over it and serve it. And this is called a good to change this order into something else, even a noble thing in the name of freedom and dignity. But this is clearly an alternative to God's order, not God's order itself a rejection of his creative will. And we call this a good, though it is not. And these two have been with us for several decades now, slowly progressing, gaining more and more adherence. But there's a new one, a third one, that is becoming even more prolific, particularly among the young. And it's the desire to separate being a man or a woman from having a male or female body, the so-called transgender ideology, which is perhaps the most obvious way that God's created order is being rejected, and a parallel one is set up alongside it, one of our own making. So these two pillars, the gospel of life and the good news of marriage and family, these are the two pillars on which God builds his creation. And you can see how, how much the enemy hates these things, by how much energy he devotes to undermining and weakening them, as if to provoke the Lord, saying, I will create another way, and man and woman will say, we like it better. And so we hear Jesus in the light of this battle, Jesus himself says, this is what I came to do. You'll often hear it said, our Lord did never talk about these things. This never shows up in the scriptures. Well, consider the day Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate at his trial. And Pilate asks Jesus, bound before him, scourged, are you a king? And Jesus says, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. That's Jesus' mission statement. That's why I'm here. To destroy the kingdom of lies and restore the beauty of God's creation 
as he intended it. And he does so not through violence, through power. He doesn't command obedience by threatening those who disobey, but through his word. Jesus is a king not through power or violence, as the kings of this world are, but by his truth. He reigns over us, but not through threats. He reigns over us through the truth of which he is a witness. The truth that he himself is and reveals. And this is what we are here as Christians to do. This is our mission. In the face of this battle, what we are called to do in this battle between, Christ, between creation and anti-creation, between Christ and anti-Christ, we are called upon to testify to the truth. And this testimony is who we are. It's what we say, yes, but it's who we are. This is the way we live in what we do and in what we say. I'm a living testimony. You're called to be a living testimony to the truth. The scriptures talk about this. All the time. Testimony. Testimony in the scriptures means saying something, speaking it out, announcing it openly and publicly, like someone giving testimony in a courtroom. You're on the record. And the scriptures speak of those who, who do not testify as something like a soldier who flees at a de decisive moment in the battle. We do not testify, we're no longer witnesses, but deserters, particularly when we fail to testify about the gospel of life and of marriage. And there are many, even within the church, who say, well, the proper way to respond to these errors is to listen, tolerate, dialogue, adapt. But to them, I would ask, what sort of doctor tolerates illness? If you were diagnosed with cancer or with a heart condition, and you went to a doctor, and that doctor, well, said, right, let's, let's just take our time, see what happens. Let's give this thing a chance to, to become what it is. Let's, let's just let it go. We'll watch it and pay attention closely, but I don't think we need to really do anything about it. Chances are you'd, you'd, you'd want a second opinion, at least, right? And if that same doctor actually tried to convince you, well, yes, you have cancer, but actually this is, this is a good sign. This is something that's actually a sign of, of good health. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna send, you, send you home with a, with a clean bill of health. Well, chances are you, you'd be out of that examination room right away, never to return. But if that's true in, our, in terms of our physical health, why, why wouldn't it also be true in terms of our spiritual health? Are there things that are like spiritual illnesses? Certainly there are. They, they lead us not into happiness, but into darkness, despair, and death. 
St. Augustine said that we're like a, like a doctor seeking health to pursue the causes of our spiritual diseases and drive them out. He says, love the sinner, persecute the sin. And that word persecute, a Latin word, refers, it's, it's actually a word that means follow closely. To persecute something is to, to chase after it, to pursue it, to run it down, hunt it down, track it in its hidden places, condemn it and bring it into the light and show it for the empty, vain thing that it is. We do this in our testimony. Though it may cause offense, or though we may be met with cries of objections or even accusations that we're conducting discrimination or speaking hate, it's not the case. We do not direct violence against those who have come to be captured by a lie. We don't persecute the individuals who are captive to this anti-creation. We have compassion on them. We want to bring them out of darkness, out of the lie, into the light, into truth even as we seek to be brought out of darkness and out of deception into the light and into truth. And when we use that word persecute, it's to be absolutely clear about the nature of the illness and to be absolutely devoted to freeing those who are captive to it. And if it needs to be said, I will say it again, but I hope this goes without saying. But my door is open to anyone. I will sit and listen and hear the experiences of those who are struggling in any area, particularly those. We don't send those people away. We don't dismiss them and say, you're a lost cause. You've failed so poorly that there's no hope for you. Just the opposite. What hope will they have to come to the light if that's how we treat them? We go in search of them, in fact, to bring them into our community, to bring them into the community of those who have been freed by the gospel. And so the scriptures say this over and over again, that it's our job to give testimony. But they go on to say that we must also be prepared to suffer for our testimony, to be persecuted. Scriptures talk about this particularly in the book of Revelation, where the Christian achieves victory by the blood of the Lamb and in no other way. What that means is that a Christian achieves victory by bearing the marks of Jesus' own suffering and rejection in themselves. And the victory is that we then bear the marks of his glory in the world to come. We must be prepared to suffer in patience for our testimony. It is not easy, but it is what we are here to do. And so I want to situate our celebration of our Catholic school within that spiritual battle. 
We are here working to form souls to be able to give testimony. To live rooted in the truth. No deceit found in their mouths, doing harm to no one. This is the work of forming souls in the truth, of educating them, leading them out. The word educate comes from the Latin word educare, which means to lead out. To lead out of the kingdom of lies and into the kingdom of love. In this beautiful affirmation that we make every single day, I want our students to stand now, if you would. I ask you, boys and girls, teachers stand as well, to recite that pledge that you recite every single morning. Hear for us now as an affirmation of your desire for the truth. testimony. The work of education, what I've just said is very solemn, but what you've done is just put some air back into the room here. Make this a, a beautiful thing, a joyful thing even. It is a joyful thing to do battle for the truth. And we do battle through the pursuit of wisdom and virtue and all those things that you just mentioned. The work of education, with this great battle happening all around us, and even in us, well, it's made up of the ordinary and beautiful work of learning poems, singing music, singing songs, playing games, doing our homework, learning, learning how to share, learning how to forgive, learning how to take care of each other, to acquire those habits of discipline through our studies and through our athletics, restrain our passions and learn how to channel them to virtue. All of this is what it means to be a part of that faithful remnant that the Lord promised. Amid a great weakening and forgetfulness of the things of God and of the great desire for the truth that he's written in our hearts, we seek him out. We strive to become individuals that do no wrong and speak no lies. Those biblical scenarios of the, of the apocalypses, the great spiritual battles, the world-crushing conflict between good and evil, 
This is not meant to create anxiety in us. This is not meant to terrify us or paralyze us. It's meant to give us hope. It's meant to give us hope that those who hold fast to God's faithfulness remain steady amid the terrors of this age. As Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, when all this begins to take place, after having painted a very bleak picture, when all this begins to take place, lift up your heads, for your redemption is near. This is what gives birth to a hope in us that is capable of suffering, patiently, with perseverance. Because we know that in the end, whatever may come, there is still God. Blessed are those who, when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely, falsely are able to rejoice. For your reward will be great in heaven. Boys and girls, moms and dads, teachers, parishioners, all you faithful. May the world find in us a beautiful example of those who rejoice in the midst of all of this great spiritual battle. Because it is a joy to fight alongside the Lord in the truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.